The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Okay, welcome to everyone on YouTube and welcome Robert. Robert is a co-founder and director of ACT, or the Applied Compassion Training Program, offered through CARE. Um, which is a center for compassion, altruism, research, and education at Stanford University. He's a Stanford lecturer and certified senior Stanford compassion training instructor, teaches at Stanford University, UCSF, Kaiser Medical Centers, and at multiple other venues. Robert is a longtime meditator and a student of Gil Fransdell. As a former Buddhist monk, Robert ordained in Burma under the renowned meditation master, Paok Saidao, and studied with him from 2003 to 2012. In addition to his teaching, Robert provides grief counseling and bereavement support for adults at CARA in Palo Alto, California, where he facilitates retreats for fathers grieving the loss or death of a child. Robert also sits on the board of directors of the Saudi Center for Buddhist Studies. Thank you for joining us this morning, Robert. <clears throat> Thank you, Kevin. <clears throat> it's very nice to be here. Um, and once again, welcome and good morning or good afternoon or evening to you wherever you happen to be sitting in the world. Um, <clears throat> I want to talk to you this morning about the idea or the concept of self-acceptance. And I want to make a case for the proposition that self-acceptance is something that can be learned. So like many of you, no doubt, I've also been reflecting a lot on the ongoing nature of the pandemic and the onslaught of the many societal and global changes and challenges that we're all facing today. So many people report feeling uh, a sense of disorientation, a sense of even feeling wobbly. And more than a few of us feel overwhelmed or close to being overwhelmed, uh, just having to contend with the pace of change itself. So the truth is that none of this is easy to be with or accept, and it goes against the grain of our habits and our normal or our default patterns of behaviors and beliefs. Uh, When we are honest, we see that our world isn't unfolding as we really expected, and this is a bummer for a lot of us. So as We're beginning a new year. We know that even with the best of intentions, our New Year's resolutions to change our thoughts or our behaviors are sadly often short-lived for most people. So the question arises, how can we accept the truth of our experience and how can we accept ourselves when we can't even find a self in the swirl of all of this change. So it's said that when the doctrine of anatta or not self and anicca or impermanence 
when those doctrines are fully realized, their understanding releases the mind from the momentum of its life-defining patterns of habit and attachment. So, as I said a moment ago, I want to explore with you what the concept of self-acceptance is in the context of Buddhist meditation. When we take the time to inquire into this question of self-acceptance, we see that it's not actually about a self. Rather, it's about the psychological or mental states of mind and behaviors that we take to be ourselves. So this is important. In order to develop self-acceptance in the context of these behaviors, we first must know where we are, what's happening in our experience, and what resources we have within us to draw upon. So this requires that we begin to cultivate a radical sort of honesty about our strengths and our weaknesses. It also requires courage and a commitment to living in integrity with our deeper, even our deepest intentions. And all of this requires mindfulness and clear comprehension. So as we cultivate the skill of mindfulness and a quantumous observation of our experience, a growing awareness of familiar thoughts and emotions begins to slowly emerge. And when we begin to see the momentum and the power of our mental inclinations and habits as a flow of experience, we gradually come to see our thoughts and emotions or our behaviors for what they are, simply a process of conditioned activities, not as ourself or some identity or belief about who we are or who we think we are. Therefore, as I mentioned, as we learn to cultivate and practice the skill of wise investigation of our mental and psychological states, instead of finding a me who's orchestrating our experience, thinking or planning or strategizing or worrying, we see underlying conditioned activities of the deeply rooted and familiar process itself that actually generates the sense of me. This is helpful in an immediately practical way because it gives us the ability to curb or completely let go of habit-forming activities before they become ingrained mental formations and negatively affect the quality of our life and muddy our understanding and our insight. So with this quality of wise investigation, we see what takes place in our thinking process. We see our perceptions, our mental images, our feelings of liking and disliking and mental activities, reactions and impulses, for example, We see judging, strategizing, or planning, speculating, and proliferating. 
we see these things. We don't think of these things as me. These are the kinds of activities of mind and feelings that hook us and trap us. Whenever we can differentiate the activity or more specifically the reactivity from the image or the perception that triggers the reaction or the activity, we cut off its source of energy or, or fuel. So for example, instead of reacting to disappointment like this, I'm annoyed and disappointment and disappointed because it's raining on my picnic today. We come to see rather that I'm annoyed and disappointed, the activity or the reactivity, and it's raining on my picnic today, the trigger. The activity itself then naturally begins to lose steam and the problem often just fades away without any further effort from us. This doesn't always happen, but as we begin to practice, we can begin to notice this. This kind of wise attending allows our awareness to rest in a peaceful sense of letting go, of release. And it's important that we sense into what that feels like when that is actually occurring. So one way that we cultivate self-acceptance is by developing the courage that it takes to open and sustain an awareness of activities such as self-criticism or harsh self-judgment or how easily we default to judging to judging others and the aversion and ill will that we feel towards other and others and then we feel so darn guilty for doing that all of this painful activity begins to release and unplug when we see it for what it is the good news it is possible to cultivate a stillness of heart that is responsive to the ever-changing activities of life and that can allow and hold all of our feelings and perceptions exactly as they are in a spacious and a non-reactive space. This is an example of how we cultivate self-compassion, real self-compassion. This is the quality of self-compassion and this quality of self-compassion requires and is an expression of equanimity. When equanimity is absent, we easily, so easily default to anger or despair, to irritability or frustration. When we deny <clears throat> or we sugarcoat our experience, experience and our habitual confused states of mind, we actually block our access to real compassion. It's said that equanimity retains empathy. That is, 
equanimity is not indifferent, but it's absolutely, absolutely patient. When things in our lives are going smoothly and everything feels upbeat, we don't get carried away in ecstasy or expect our experience to remain always upbeat and unchanged. And conversely, when things don't go our way, we don't get lost in disappointment or in lashing out or blaming. In this way, in both of these scenarios, we reduce the potential for stress and suffering in our lives, as well as the potential to cause suffering in the lives of those around us. So when we practice self-acceptance in our meditation, we simply notice our thoughts and our emotions. We notice them with kindness and empathy rather than with judgments or reactive narratives or stories of approving or disapproving. Seeing the patterns of our thoughts and behaviors as they ebb and flow and come and go without getting hooked or overwhelmed by them is an important skill. It allows us to see what we often mistakenly take to be ourself for what it really is, a dynamic, continuous process of impulses, of thoughts, of reactions, followed by new impulses. So I want to repeat that because this is really the crux of it. Seeing the patterns of our thoughts and behaviors as they ebb and flow, come and go, without getting hooked or overwhelmed by them is an important skill. And it's a skill that can be learned. It allows us to see what we take to be ourselves for what it really is. It's a process, a process of impulses, of thoughts, of reactions, and an endless river. So this practice of self-acceptance also leads to the insight that all mind states are undependable and radically impermanent. All mind states are undependable and radically impermanent. As we cultivate the ability to maintain focus on our mind states and our thoughts, our emotions, which is which are often referred to as dhammas, we notice that they all eventually cease to be. They end. They don't end usually in a shocking or an abrupt full stop. 
but rather in a gradual fading away and an unraveling. And the same is true as we observe them arriving, arising. Dhammas usually don't just suddenly come out of nowhere. They come together, that is, they're compounded from causes and from conditions, such as the likes or dislikes that we believe in and we hold on to. So this is one way of describing dependent arising. This insight deepens our understanding of the nature of impermanence. And we begin to recognize and directly experience the fundamental truth that all things are insubstantial and dependent arising and dependently arising. These two understandings, not-self and impermanence, anatta and anicca, when fully realized, release the mind from the momentum of its life-defining pattern of habit and attachment. The equanimity that expresses a self-acceptance enables us to keep the heart spaced, the heart-mind open and in touch so we can apply wise investigation to our experience. This quality supports our growing capacity to trust that whatever we're going through, whether it's easy or difficult, good or bad, it all, all of it arises due to and dependent upon changing causes and conditions. Things always change. This is an undeniable truth. If we can learn to accept this, we release our mistaken belief that an abiding permanent self can be found in the process of dependent arising. In this way, we can take responsibility for the causes and conditions that our mind encourages in the present without drowning in the mistakes the past. We can choose to cultivate a new wholesome habit or new wholesome habits and ways of being in the world. We do have agency. Each one of us has agency and we have the power to make a difference. So the fruit of self-acceptance is found in the spaciousness and the freedom and the stillness of equanimity. And it said, I want to go back to this idea of self-compassion. It said, 
that compassion is impossible without equanimity. But equanimity, of course, can exist without compassion. Compassion is a quality that expresses as self-acceptance. Compassion is a quality that responds to the difficulties and the suffering that we experience personally and that we see in the world around us. And compassion is always and only a response to suffering. There are other qualities. Life is not just one endless experience of suffering. There are qualities in life that are wonderful and that fill us with joy and happiness. Those are also expressions of love. That quality of love is found in the spaciousness, the freedom, and the stillness of equanimity. So the proposition that I wanted to make this morning or that I wanted to present was that this quality of self-acceptance is something that can be learned. It's not something that we magically make happen or wish for and then it happens. We, we have to work at it. We have to, uh, we have to be willing to be with the actual ebb and flow of our experience. When things occur, and they do for all of us every day in our lives that trigger us and and um, send us into a state of reactivity or uh, a state of disorientation. That quality of feeling wobbly that I mentioned at the beginning of the talk. These, <clears throat> these occurrences happen day in and day out for all of us. One moment we're present with ourselves and the next moment we're off on a thought train that um, totally seduces our attention. We We see ourselves as roles. We see ourselves as a teacher or a parent or a lover or a colleague. And in the next moment, something else is happening. And then we see ourselves as whatever is happening next and next and next. So as we begin to just see the flow of our thoughts and our emotions and our ingrained patterns and habits of reacting, we begin to see that these are in fact just arising conditions, causes and conditions. These are in fact just a process. They aren't who we are. 
although it's so easy to believe that that is who we are. I, I, I don't want to make it sound as though, uh, as though this is something that you can simply hear or read about or think about once or twice. It's a one and done proposition. It's not. It's a lifelong practice. Just watch in your own experience when you meditate how easily a thought will cross your radar screen and your center stage. This <clears throat> this type of activity just ties us to this wheel of repeating those responses or, or reactions time after time after time. So it is with mindfulness that we begin to recognize this as <clears throat> for what it is. It's a process. It's not us. And we see that the process constantly changes. Nothing is stable. There is not a mind state or a material experience that's stable, that doesn't change. So these two qualities, again, when we can see these two qualities happening in our experience, we can free the mind. The mind is freed from this sense of this constant repetition. And this quality of equanimity allows us to actually be with what mindfulness is reporting. And in the moment when that happens, at least for me and my personal experience, in the moment when that happens, there is a quality of self-acceptance. There's a quality of allowing experience to simply be what it is. There's a freedom from identification with it, a freedom from holding on, a, a freedom that can be noticed and it can be learned or we can develop the skill to recognize it. And all of this, as I said, requires mindfulness and clear comprehension. So <clears throat> I don't know if I've made a good case that we can learn this quality of self-acceptance. But these are some of my thoughts about it. And uh, if anybody has any questions, uh, we have a few minutes here that we could open it up to questions and answers. The Q&A session. So feel free to, uh, if anyone has any questions on Zoom, you can raise your hand or put it in chat. And on YouTube, you can go ahead and enter in the chat and 
Um, I'll go ahead and read those questions off to Robert. Great, thank you, Mark. Or thank you, uh, Kevin, I apologize. No problem. So I, I want to say, I, I hope this hasn't been too cognitive because there's, it's a really a very immediate kind of thing that we can notice in our experience. We notice when we're with ourselves and we notice, and we can begin to notice when we get lost. And when we get lost, we get lost in the flow of emotions and thoughts and mind states and mental states, you see. And then we come back to, to a quality of presence. And what is presence? What does presence mean? Presence, I don't want to define what presence means, but for me, presence is like being able to be with the experience and just see it as an experience, as a flow, as a process, rather than thinking it's me. My ego, my little ego, poor little, <laughs> poor little ego, really wants to identify and take credit or hide or whatever. But that activity or that reactivity is right where we meet compassion. See, when we can see that that's what's happening, we're in a moment of distress. And that's where compassion shows up. Even if we can't, even if we don't feel better, the simple seeing of what's happening is acceptance. Hey, Robert, we've got uh, Cindy with her hand up. So Cindy, if you want to uh, unmute yourself and ask your question. Hi, Great. Robert. Hi, Cindy. It's nice to see you. you. I know. Um, this was exactly what I needed today. Um, I've been really overwhelmed for a couple of days with the, uh, the insurrection anniversary and mm. Um, feeling like I started feeling like overwhelmed with um, has America become numb to atrocities and, you know, the shootings that go on and those kinds of things. So I, you know, and I've been meditating for so long and I started judging myself because I was becoming, I was feeling dark on some mm -hmm. um, and kind of out of control uh, with, how can I make things better? And I realize all I can do is be present and have compassion. Um, I mean, th this was the perfect talk for me. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Um, mm. What I need, it, 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 sh it brought light back to me. <laughs> um, yeah, because it's just been, it's been very difficult. I feel like, does anyone even care anymore about anything, you know, sometimes? And I know that that's not true. Um, and that's just me going on with the rumination. So, um, 
Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, Cindy, thank you very much. And and I, if I, I can, I I want to just say that that you just sort of made my case for me because we can't necessarily change the world, but we can change our relationship to the way that we are with the world. And that makes all the difference in the world. So thank you for your question. Ron, I see that you had your hand, have your hand up. Uh, yes. Uh, thank you for the uh, talk. I found it uh, very interesting and, and very helpful. I appreciate that. Um, my uh, question has to do with... Uh, actually uh, the process of cultivating self-acceptance. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, if you, know, you have a, a mindfulness practice and uh, you follow the Satipatthana Sutta or you follow the um, Anapanasati Sutta, but you know, the, the point is you take that as your practice. Mm-hmm. Um, now, does self-acceptance just arise out of that naturally as a, you know, a byproduct of all the mindfulness training and the insights that arise? Or are you suggesting that there are specific self-acceptance practices that we could do uh, that would be um, of value developing this particular uh, skill? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question, Ron. And um, I don't have a simple answer to that. I would, I would say, from my own direct experience, one of the ways that I purposely, purposefully, and consciously cultivate self-compassion is that when I'm doing the practices the meditative practices that we are practicing together here, I notice what my reactions are to the practice. So for instance, if I was doing Anapanasati practice and I was trying to concentrate and focus my attention on my breath, and I notice that I'm no longer with my breath, you see, <clears throat> I might notice that I am anxious or that I am upset about that or that I'm rejecting the experience of not being with my breath and judging myself. So so by doing the practice of Anapanasati, trying to be with my breath, all of these other qualities and reactions and responses or whatever arise and to notice what's arising in response to that can sometimes allow the mind to relax enough to go back and to stay with the breath and then to see what happens as you begin to calm down so it's in the process of not reject it's in the 
practice of not rejecting your experience, but observing it with, it's this equanimous observation that I was talking about in the talk. It's like we, we do, we want things to be the way we want them. We don't want them to be the way that they're actually happening. It's a bummer for us. We want, we want things to be like we want them to be. And the practice is to just learn to be with them as they are. And that requires courage and kindness and patience. And that's in, in, in doing that practice, we begin to come to this quality of self-acceptance. I hope that was helpful. Uh, yes, uh, yes, thank you. Uh, but I just, I, I wanna make sure I, I understand what you're saying. Uh, let's say for example, you're doing the Anapanasati, you know, you're just following your, your breath, that's your practice for that particular uh, meditation. Mm -hmm. uh, if thoughts of self-criticism arise, uh, well, the instructions in the practice would be perhaps to just notice that, let it go, and then go back to the breath. Um, to make that into a, say, a self-acceptance type of a practice, would you focus uh, on the criticism that came up and reflect on that and kind of, in a sense, take a tangent to make that into a specific self-acceptance practice? Or just go back to the breath. Well, if you can, if you can take the instruction of just going back to the breath, then by all means, just go back to the breath. But if you find that it's difficult to go back to the breath, then you can switch the focus of your attention from the breath to the difficulty, and be with what is actually happening in that moment. You see, whatever is happening. So if if you're being, um, if a hindrance is arising and you see that a hindrance is arising and you can let it go, then by all means, let it go and go back to the breath. But if you find that that's not possible, what a lot of people do is that they, are pushing against it. They're not seeing the resistance that's happening. And in fact, at that point, they've lost mindfulness. So to just be with your experience as it is allows you to see your experience for what it is, a flow of emotions, a flow of thoughts, a process, not me resisting something that I don't want, you see? Because that resistance is infused with our ego. Our, as long as you're resisting, you know your ego's at play. So think about it and try it out and see what works for you. Okay, so Charlie, is it Charlie? Yeah, I see that Charlie has your hand up. Yeah. Can you hear me okay? I can. Perfectly. I Thank can. you. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much for your talk. It was really very enlightening. You had lots of, lots of really good tips that were very useful to me. Um, 
we've been talking a lot in um, another context of me about big sky mind, about making your mind big enough to be able to withstand these, you know, Mars arrows, the thoughts that are, are coming at us. And sometimes I find, and I'm, I'm really, I'm, maybe I'm just asking from your experience, whether you ever do this or whether you think it's not helpful, that sometimes I will turn to, you know, taking refuge in the Buddha, taking refuge in whatever faith I might have, or thinking a little bit about the nature of reincarnation or the nature of some kind of afterlife, whatever, something that makes the screen a little bigger Mm-hmm. So that it's easier for me to view these unfortunate, these difficult thoughts to get big enough to just go, okay, I'll let you go. I can go back to my breath. Um, I'm wondering if that's ever useful or whether those are just telling stories and confusing the situation. Hmm. So, Charlie, let me ask you... Um, ask you um, what is it like for you when you practice those things? It's often helpful for me. All I find right. that sometimes when All I right. think in those contexts, I can just relax and my mind gets bigger and the thoughts tend to fade. Great. So what I'm going to suggest, Kevin, we're getting some feedback here. Or, yeah, I think it. I think it might be Charlie's speakers that are. So Charlie, if you can, uh, if you can mute yourself, actually, when Robert is speaking, that that might be helpful. Great. So, so Charlie, I I'm going to say that you've answered your own question, and the truth is that there are many practices which we can call upon and 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 use when we're feeling disoriented or overwhelmed or when we, you know, we want to have a big mind experience and we're feeling contracted and you see, there are many roads to Rome. Some people pray, some people go for a walk, some people go for a run, some people you know, whatever, whatever seems to work, but trust your own experience. So if you, if there are certain practices that help you open up and relax, then by all means, use those practices. This is something that I really want to encourage everyone to do, because I've been meditating for decades. And I tell you, it's taken me decades to get to this place where I'm willing to explore to trust myself enough to just see what's happening and be with it. And as that happens, things open up more. You feel more connected. I feel more connected to the heart, more connected to this big mind, equanimous kind of experience, because this sense of pushing against and resisting seems to just naturally kind of quiet down. If you try to force it, it doesn't work. You just notice the forcing. So 
We have time for one more quick question from Jerry. If you want to ask it, Jerry. Thanks, Charlie. Can you hear me okay, Robert? Yes. Thank you, and thank you for your talk. I'm sorry I joined it a bit late, but um, the question, and you don't have to answer this, it's quick. What's your greatest difficulty in self-acceptance and meditation? Uh, the greatest difficulty is not recognizing when I'm suffering. Or, yeah, not recognizing when I'm suffering. When I'm suffering, you see, what I'm recognizing is the resistance to the actual suffering. I'm not actually being with my suffering because I'm pushing it away. I'm denying it. And that in itself causes suffering. I think Charlie mentioned the arrows, all of the different arrows. But the to, to, to be compassionate, to be self-accepting, we have to be able to be with the truth of our own experience without filtering it. And it's one of the hardest things to learn. It's like, when we're present, we see what's happening. When we're not present, we're sort of seduced by the process. And we think that's who we are. So the most difficult thing is to train yourself with patience and kindness and consistency to recognize what it's like to actually be present with what is happening in the moment for yourself. So that's, that's the challenge. And, and, and that is the gateway. Thank you so much. You're welcome. So it's been uh, a pleasure to be here with all of you this morning, and we are just at the time limit. So I want to thank Kevin for uh, doing all the technical for for driving this ship, <laughs> the brains behind it, and uh, and I want to thank Gil for inviting me to come in and share with all of you this morning. And I hope that some of what I said uh, is resonates for you and uh, is useful for you. And um, you know, as you begin this new year, you know, really pay attention to when you're not being so nice to yourself and cut yourself a little slack. The world is full of so much contention. Any moment where you can let go of it is a, is a gift to the planet. So thank you so very much for your time and may you go forward today and live with ease. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year. Thank you, Kevin. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank and you, if everyone wants to, Thank you. If everyone wants to come off of <laughs> mute yeah. and you can say goodbye and I, you know. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye, everyone. everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you. Yeah, so nice to be with you all. Thanks, Thank brother. You. Thank you, Thank you, Robert. Very helpful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Bye-bye. Bye.